Welcome to episode seven of the Monster Podcast. This is Justin. Hi, I'm Jay. And we are coming to you again. This is our second episode from COVID-19 quarantine. Um, But we're here remotely practicing appropriate and responsible social distancing and using this quarantine as an excuse to bring some more content to uh, our listeners. And we've been getting a lot of different requests uh, for topics to cover. And last week we covered the short prints. So this week we're going to dive into a few more topics. And the first one is about population reports. And Jay, maybe you want to get started, talk about a little bit what these are, and then we can dig in. Sounds good. So population reports are awesome tools uh, as a wealth of data and knowledge that's out there. They are essentially publicly available lists of how many of each card have been graded by the major companies in every grade. They also break out with some pros and cons, some limitations, the various backs. So you can query exactly how many cards appear with a certain front-back combination, what is the highest grade of that certain front-back combination. And you can really extrapolate quite a bit of really, really useful and valuable data out of these population reports if you know how to use them. Yeah, and the question we got specifically um... And this will, I think, is a good segue into talking about some of those details. Is just how re- reliable or unreliable are PSA's population reports, and what factors should we consider as sellers when using those numbers and statistics? One interesting thing I noticed when I was looking at the population data is just looking at the backs. And we've talked a bit about how it's been determined that certain cards are short prints or certain backs are rarer than others and the and the population reports on PSA and we'll post links to all of these uh, pages we're referring to. So as of today, PSA has graded 247,628 T206s. Uh, Which is a huge sample. Like that is, a, that is an extremely useful sa- uh, sample from a data standpoint. I mean, that is a lot to try to you you know start to develop patterns and i think that that is really one of the the most powerful points of the population reports is that you really do have what is an actual real statistically significant data set the population reports are not perfect by any means and we'll get into that a little later but i think to start with we can talk about what they are useful for uh, and that's giving you a general sense of the scarcity of one card versus another Uh, and looking at backs even if we just look at the very kind of broad data about backs that psa has on its website there's been of the 247,000 t206s that have been graded by psa 99,000 have had piedmont backs and 53,000 have had sweet capital backs i've got a calculator that's roughly 60 percent out of every card that PSA has graded is attributed to a Piedmont or a Sweet Cat back. And to, to break it down even more, it's something like 40% of all the cards are Piedmonts and 20% of all of the cards are Sweet Caps. So that is in and of itself a majority of everything that PSA has graded. Yeah, so that, again, and that confirms the common wisdom that Piedmonts and Sweet Caps are the most common back. On the other end of the spectrum, if you want to look at things that are more rare and confirm their rarity, for example, Ty Cobb backs, only 19 graded versus 100,000 Piedmonts graded, or Use It backs, for example, 
149 graded versus 99,000 Piedmonts graded. And then obviously there's a lot of different backs we can go over. We don't have to hit all of them, but uh, Polar Bear, about 8,500. Old Mill, 9,000. Sovereign, 8,000. So you really do, Tolstoy, 2,000. You really see a big jump from what we all consider the common backs, the Piedmonts and the Sweet Caps to when you start to get into the off-back realm, the Polar Bears, the Sovereigns, the Tolstoys, you really see that dip in the numbers down to the you know the double-digit Ty Cobb backs. So at the very least, we can say that the, the population report is a useful tool for assessing the scarcity of backs. Let's call it directional scarcity, because while there are a lot of nuances to interpreting different front-back combinations, if we just want to look at and sort of consider the question, how much rarer is a single random Tolstoy from a single random polar bear, this can give you some directional knowledge in that a Tolstoy, there's only a couple thousand, but a polar bear, there's like eight or nine thousand. So you can see that one is really going to be dramatically more difficult than the other. And then naturally, because this is a market that drives scarcity, which drives price. So for example, you can go find a polar bear for 25 or 30 bucks without any trouble, but a Tolstoy is going to run you in the 60 or $70 range, you know, maybe 50 if it's pretty beat up, but that, that that's a pretty large percentage difference in terms of the, the value of these cards. And a lot of that can, the, the, the difference in the scarcity can really be borne out by the data and the reports. Yeah, absolutely. So again, it's, it is a useful tool in some ways. Another place to look at, again, these are just some broader categories before we really dig down into some details. You look at grades. And actually, I, Jay, I found the, the grade data incredibly fascinating. So you've got, uh, if we look at PSA 10s, PSA 10 T206s, uh, I think most people listening probably have never seen one of these in person. Maybe you've never even seen one online. There's only 13 PSA 10 graded T206s that PSA has ever handled. Um, Actually, a couple of them sold last year, and I remember those specific cards, and quite a few of them are older holders, and they're great, but they do have some very, very slight flaws that lead me to believe if they were graded today, they might not get a 10. We're talking, you know, 8, 9 versus 10. But the they're, I mean, you're talking a perfect blemish-free, wrinkle, corner-touch-free card. Yeah, and you know that's that's interesting, Jay, because if you look at the data too, you go from PSA 10, there's 13 of them. PSA 9, there's 320. And so you're almost seeing a uh, 10 times increase. So you go from 13 PSA 10s, 320 PSA 9s to 2600 PSA 8s. And I bet there's a ton of sevens too, because you see a lot of sevens around. You see almost double the number of sevens there are of eights. There's 5800 sevens, 2600 eights. So exactly double, pretty much. Right. And then the number the number pretty much starts keeps doubling. Uh, as you get lower in grade, you go from 6,000 PSA 7s to 16,000 PSA 6s to doubling that number to 35,000 PSA 5s. So you see from 10 to 5, the numbers increase dramatically. Then you go PSA 5, there's 35,000. PSA 4, 63,000. But then the number starts to decrease again. From PSA 4 to PSA 1, you see the number drop from 63,000 to 47,000 to 45,000 to 20,000 to 5,000 authentics. And the conventional wisdom is about this is people are less likely to grade a low-grade card, especially a common, more likely to grade a mid-grade 
nice looking card, whether it's a common or a Hall of Famer. And in the upper grades, there's just less of those in existence. And I think that that really hits at, let's say, one of the first major deficiencies of all of the population reports, which is that the data is only as good as the data that exists. We have no idea what is out there that people choose not to get graded a low-grade common that's worth 20 bucks. Am I really going to spend $10 for PSA to put it in a holder or $8 if I do it on a, on a what's it called, a bargain submission and then I decide I'm not going to have my card for nine months because PSA is really slow? Do I really want to give up that card, put it in a holder, or do I just keep it raw? Whereas if that's an EX or an EX mid card where, you know, taking it in and out of a binder, a ding on a corner might, you know, dock you a grade or two, it starts to be a really, really strong rationale to put cards into a holder. So I think that leads us to sort of two conclusions for deficiencies with population reports, which is that lower grades of especially commons are underrepresented. And then Hall of Famer, big name cards like Ty Cobbs. If you've got a raw Ty Cobb lying around, you're probably going to put it in a holder. Ty Cobbs might be a little bit overrepresented in a comparative sense in that if you were to compare the number of a common graded with the number of a Ty Cobb graded, most of the Ty Cobbs are probably graded. A huge number of the commons are just going to be sitting quietly in people's houses and collections. There are some great examples we can give of that. So for example, the Ty Cobb, the red the Red Portrait Ty Cobb, there's been 2,122 of those graded. Compared to a common like Bill Abstein, there's been about 400 total graded. Uh, there's not five times as many Ty Cobbs out there. It's been graded five times as much because it is a more desirable card. It is a more valuable card. Uh, there's benefits to having in the holder. It's the oops value. It's the my dog ate it or my kid messed it up. You can't really mess up a giant plastic tomb. <laughs> That's right. And of course, you know, keep in mind, we're talking about PSA here because it's the best data available. Um, but SGC and I think Beckett have SGC is in the process of overhauling its population report system. Uh, the new one isn't up yet. Exactly. So SGC hasn't updated their population report in uh, probably a little bit over a year now, maybe more. There is a link to their old population report that they have not been updating of late, but they, they are allegedly putting out uh, you know, a, an updated, more user-friendly pop report. But um, yeah, the, the SGC data goes you know pretty far back before they did this rebrand, and that's also a very useful tool. Yeah, uh, you know, and one of the one of the drawbacks on the population reports, both PSA, but I think maybe to a larger degree SGC, is that they don't, it, until more recently, they were not differentiating between different variations of certain backs, for example. So, so for I would month, call that, let's call that the second category of major deficiencies of the population reports, if we're really going to get at how accurate are they. So let's just discuss some of the, the ways that each company has graded cards. So PSA, when Started grading T206s, labeled the card simply T206. Then several years later, after grading a bunch of cards, someone made it, you know, they someone made them aware that, you know, hey, these backs actually matter a pretty great deal. And then PSA started putting just the back onto a flip. So it would say T206 Piedmont, but it would not differentiate whether it was a 150, 350, or 460. 
And then more recently, T, uh, PSA started putting the, the difference between the, the, the back variations, and they also started putting in the factory numbers. So if you were to send a card, a Sweet Caporal, for instance, off to PSA today, it's going to come back in a holder that says Sweet Caporal 350 slash 30, telling you that it's a 350 factory 30, whereas, you know, maybe eight or 10 years ago, that exact same holder is just going to say Sweet Caporal. This is, again, just a PSA thing, but it's very important when you start to get into the data. So if you dig into the data for a specific back, there could be cards that were graded before they started denoting backs that does not have a back listed. For example, I have a Walter Johnson Lennox in my collection, which is an awesome, huge card. It was graded, God, at least 20 years ago, really old holder, an old serial number, and it simply says T206. I know because I have that card that the count for Walter Johnson Lennox is one short, which is the reason I use this uh, this combo as a specific example. That addition of one card is pretty big news. That's a tough combination with pretty low population reports. The addition of ev even one card is going to be significant. So this is an imperfection of the PSA data set. Furthermore, cards that you care about the factory variations, so for instance, a Sweet Cap 35025, which is a tough back, or a Sweet Cap 46025, which is a tough back, that's going to be even more unreliable because through the second generation holder, it would just say PSA, I'm sorry, it would say T206 Sweet Caporal. It would not differentiate whether that was a factory 25 or a factory 30. So if you're looking at factory specific data for PSA, that's going to be even more unreliable just because we know they went through two iterations before they started you know keeping track of that type of data the data is good generally when we're talking about backs but when you start to look at with more granularity for maybe a more uh, seasoned collector who's doing a back run or interested in a particular subset in this data um, becomes a little more unreliable so we have the back data which is good in some ways limited in others we have the grading data and again grading standards have changed over the years so we could see some of those cards like jay said those psa 10s if they were re-slabbed could come down but again we know that there's way less nines tens and eights than there are ones twos and threes and that's useful to know um, we also talked a little bit last week about the PSA data or population data being useful for knowing the scarcity of certain variations uh, of cards versus others. So the examples we gave last year, last week uh, were the O'Hara and Demet cards, the New York and St. Louis variations. And you know, just to recap a little bit, for example, we know that the St. Louis card of Demet has 184 specimens graded by PSA, but the New York variation has over 400. And the same thing plays out when you look at the O'Hara card, over 400 graded in common backs and only 168 graded in, in the uh, St. Louis cards graded. I think that's a really good point, Justin, I mean, that, that gets at all the different types of uses of what one can use this data set for. And I think bearing in mind some of the limitations, it really offers you quite a bit of knowledge where you can confirm conventional wisdom and you can also sort of piece your way through something that you're collecting that other people might not be aware of. Yeah. And another good example of this is if you're looking at a single player like Ty Cobb, Ty Cobb is most listeners know has four different poses. Uh, the, green portrait, the red portrait, bat on and bat off. Uh, and we know because of the number of backs that appear 
on it that the red cob is the most most plentiful it is easiest cob yes and it's that's because it's a super print correct exactly so you have the red cob which again was printed with the most back so we assume and know in to some degree that that's going to be more plentiful than the others um, there's 2100 of those graded by psa the bat off variation there's about a thousand the bat on variation there's about 900 and the green portrait there's only about 900 and this is an interesting piece of data jay because certainly in recent years the pricing on the green Cobb portrait has skyrocketed both in common and off backs. But if you look at the data, there's actually not much of a difference between the green portrait and the bad on variation in terms of population. Definitely not. And I think that that could lead people to a number of conclusions. Could the bad on be a little bit undervalued? Definitely possible. Could the, the green portrait have maybe gone a little bit overvalued? I think that was that's been substantiated over the last year and a half. Obviously, green cob rocks, but it, it it's come down a little bit from its peak maybe a year year and a half ago. But I think that really gets to the point of also what is driving value. In this case, it really isn't being driven by the overall scarcity of the card. It's being driven by the fact that that is an iconic pose. It is the better of the two portraits it's basically the best card in the 520 but in, ter in terms of a scarcity sense it really isn't more scarce than a bat on right or really a bat on for that matter yeah exactly yeah they're right about the same but if you compare the green portrait to the red portrait which i think is maybe the comparison a lot of people do it's twice as rare right you exactly. have two thousand red portraits less than a thousand green portraits so if we're thinking about I, like you say, Jay, iconic cards that people, even if they only buy one, they might buy one of those or both of those. Um, if you look at those next to each other, that could be what's driving the interest and in, in pricing on the green cob. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of other examples too, Jay. We were just recently talking in Tobacco Row about the Johnny Evers Cubs Blue Sky is a short print card we know to begin with, even with the common back. But with a sovereign back, I think it's one of the toughest cards, one of the toughest Hall of Famers in the entire T206 set. Yes, that's exactly right. So that card specifically is very difficult in general. We touched a little bit why last week because it's a 150 only card. And then finding that card with a different with an off back is extremely difficult partially because it only comes with hindu and with sovereign 150 but it just happens that this is an extremely difficult card and then the population reports bear that out because if you look again at psa's pop report you see about 475 cubs shirt cards are graded and there are more than double that for the chicago shirt that are graded yeah and of the sovereign back and the Cubs shirt, there's less than 10. Um, so again, if you're a collector, if you're collecting the whole set or you're collecting certain players or certain backs, this the data, again, it's not perfect. We'll continue talking about that. But I know for me personally, this data guides a lot of decisions I make, even if it's uh, just a preliminary decision about whether to consider a purchase further, I'll go into PSA and just look at the look at the numbers and see if it excites me. Let's spend a little bit of time and talk about some of the pros and cons of the SGC population report, because I think it, it's interesting to juxtapose that against PSA, because it is actually quite different. Right. So the, SG, the SGC card grading flip has basically stayed the same for a really long time. They don't sort of have those different iterations like PSA does. So for instance, 
if an if an SGC card is a Piedmont 150 back, they will translate the Piedmont 150 into 1909 Piedmont, and that will appear on the flip, and it has for several decades now. So what that means is SGC has a very reliable count for the number of cards with each back, simply because they've always been counting it. That said, though, there are a couple things that are – there's some downsides to the SGC population report. SGC uh, until now and still does not keep track of factory variations. So if you were to grade a Sweet Capital 350 card, it's just going to say 1910 Sweet Capital cigarettes, but it is not going to tell you whether it is a factory 25 or factory 30. And then additionally, the, when uh, SGC was a little bit of a younger company, they also had a, a little, you know, I'll call it a pattern of not always labeling variations between cards. So for instance, like Johnny Evers, where he's got a Piedmont 150 in the Chicago Cub in the Cub shirt pose, and also has a Piedmont 150 in the portrait pose, there are a lot of cards in the SGC population report simply labeled as 1909 Piedmont Johnny Evers that we really can't attribute to one pose or the other. Now, in my example where it's a Piedmont 150 back, that might not be that big of a deal. But if we're talking about Sovereign 150s, if the flip says 1909 Sovereign Johnny Evers, which comes with the Cub shirt and the portrait, and the Cub shirt we know is especially difficult, if there are some cards in SGC's population report that don't attribute which pose it is, we don't know which cards to attribute those counts to. So that count really becomes generally useless because you don't know to which front it is going to be attributed to. Has SGC ever proposed changing the flip to address that? I don't know. So, you know, to address the two different things we just talked about, I don't know if SGC has looked into putting in factory numbers on the on the label. There are a lot of people that collect those. So presumably they have asked. I, I don't know if that is anything in the pipeline or not. But as far as going back and correcting some of their older flips, I mean, that would just be a process of reholdering, which you can do for about eight or 10 bucks, where you would send your card. And then if you're Johnny Evers with a sovereign back was a portrait they would label it and put it in the population report as such. Or if it was a with Cub shirt, they would also put it in like that. So, you know, that that the, the latter that I just mentioned is basically a way to fix errors from the past, whereas the issues with the factory numbers, probably a ship that sailed. So there are, yeah, definitely uh, unique idiosyncrasies when it comes to the way PSA has handled grading and population reports and SGC handles grading and population reports. But I think there are also some, uh, maybe we call them minuses, about the population reports generally that I think are good to keep in mind when you're looking at this data beyond, again, the specific habits of the grading companies. And I think the first one to remember is most cards are not graded. Isn't there some numbers floating around that maybe there's two or three million T206s floating around? Um, we There are people who throw around various numbers in the, in the seven digits, and then there's also people who float that 10%, 20%, 30% of the overall population of cards are really graded. It's a really difficult question to answer just because there's, there's no real way to answer it. I mean, I think people who evaluate large numbers of cards, I mean, I know myself, I handle a lot of commons. So I, I have a general feel for roughly how much is out there, not in terms of a, a specific number, but I alone have handled several thousand commons that are that are raw in the last couple of years 
which really leads me to believe that there are an extremely large number of especially low-grade raw commons that are just out there not showing up in the population reports ever. But from a data and from a data analysis standpoint, I mean, you're sort of limited by what your sample says. And in this case, we have a really big sample. There have been certain cards that I have tracked where when additional cards get graded, that's sort of big news. But in a general sense, you really can get directional and comparative knowledge out of the population report that you really can't get anywhere else. Another minus, and I think we both do this, a lot of collectors do this, is that a lot of cards that get graded get cracked later on. More and more people are collecting binder sets of T206s now because they're ease of storage. So they're buying graded cards, cracking them out of the slabs, and I think most people are not sending those flips back to the companies to let them know that they've taken those cards out and they should be removed from the population report. And that's affecting the numbers, and I think maybe more so now than it had before. I mean, as time goes on, that's only going to be a bigger factor. And just to be clear for any any newer listeners, if you break open one of the plastic sleeves and then you keep the flip, you can send the flips back to either PSA or SGC. They, they will provide you with whatever the, re- the relevant address is. And you can send them back the flips to basically say, hey, this card that used to be graded isn't graded any longer and it doesn't belong in your population reports. But if you're someone that likes to keep track of what their cards used to be graded as, or maybe you consider selling it and you want to use that as a piece of evidence to suggest your car X condition, collectors generally tend to keep those. I know I have quite a few. And, um, that is a deficiency of the population report because if a certain card has been graded and then cracked and then graded again and then cracked and then graded again, that's the same card in there three times when it might only be one card. Does that actually happen? Yes, it 100% does. And, you know, not such a big deal if we're talking about a Piedmont 150 where there's 200 cards graded, but if we're talking about, again, that Johnny Evers Cub Shirt Sovereign 150 where, as Justin indicated, there's only nine graded with PSA, if out of those nine, two are double counts and there's only actually seven, that's a big deal. Um, but something along the same lines is also regrading. And if the, no- the proper notification is not happening there, you're getting cards that are reflected on population reports. They could be reflected on the population reports of Beckett, SGC, and PSA, all the same card that was graded by all three companies. And therefore you have, again, you have inflated numbers for population on a card that it might have serious implications for price-wise. And you also see this magnified when you deal with some of the larger collectors that are, are building you know, more than one set or are working on a number of different back sets because a lot of those types of collectors really like the set registry tools that both both grading companies have, although PSAs is you know generally regarded as the, the industry leader. If you are a PSA loyalist and you've got all your set registries and you really like to keep up with them and you like to compete against the other people that are around you, well, if you buy, you know, 100 new SGC cards, those 100 SGC cards are probably going to wind up in PSA holders sooner or later. And now we're talking about a very large number of, uh, of flips that may or may not make it back to the grading company. So we, we've talked about a lot of ways that population reports can lead you to information about scarcity, which can then lead you to information about price. I just want to touch on one that is interesting, but is not especially reflected in price. So I'm just poking around the population reports for what I think is a good example. I'm going to stick with Johnny Evers Cubs on shirt since he since seems to be the card of the day. 
among the sweet capital factory variations, factory 25 is always more difficult than factory 30. This is especially so in the 350s where the 350 25s are, are really, really difficult and a special pain in the ass for anyone who's doing a back run. 460 25s are also very good in comparison to the 460 30s. But I'm going to talk about 150 25s and 150 30s in the context of Johnny Ever's Cubs on Shirt. So I have the population report open, and for Sweet Capital 150-25 in this first Cub shirt, there are 14 cards graded, and for the 150-30, there are 47 cards graded. So we're talking 14 versus 47. That's a pretty big magnitudinal difference between these two different backs. However, very few people, if anyone, are really going to pay a premium for this 150-25 back. Why is that? The answer could be as mundane as it's still a sweet capital back and people are not building that as a subset and there aren't enough people doing backgrounds of these players to drive a, you know, a scarcity interest towards some of these tougher backs. The fact remains it is tougher and there are some collectors who care a very great deal, but for the vast majority of collectors, they just don't really care. And this type of knowledge that you can extrapolate out of the population report really is not borne out in the marketplace. Yeah, and, and it could, you know, it, uh, that's a great point, Jay. And I know we've talked a lot about this, I think maybe even on our last episode, but definitely on episode five when we talked all about backs that, yeah, there are some really tough sweet capital factory variations out there, but because they are sweet capital backs, uh, collectors aren't that excited about them, at least right now. As time goes on and pe more people become interested in the set and more people are looking for new ways to collect the set where and find value where others have maybe have missed it, I think that we will see more interest in those sweet cap variations. And I feel like I already kind of see it uh, people nibbling around the edges of those sweet cap variations and trying to compile uh, sets, subsets as quickly as possible. I think I've sold a bunch of those rare sweet caps to people who are collecting the, the doing the subsets of the tougher variations just because they didn't seem that special to me. So yeah, so that's population reports. Again, they have pluses and minuses. Uh, when we post this, we'll put together some links that have uh, some related reading. Uh, there's been a lot of great research on this done by uh, T206 historian Scott Reeder. Anson Whaley at Pre-War Cards has a bunch of good articles. We'll put some links up. So thanks, every, thanks very much for everyone for listening to our podcast again we really appreciate all the support and, and uh, positive wishes we've received from the community um i know i really enjoy the podcast and i think this uh quarantine covid time is a really good opportunity for justin and i to get on and talk about cards and i think it's a really good opportunity for everyone to brush up on some sort of a card related project while you're stuck at home. I know I recently reorganized my T206 binder, which took a number of hours and was really fun. So everyone, happy collecting, stay safe, stay distance, and we'll see you all soon. Thank you for listening to The Monster Podcast. Don't forget to check us out online at themonsterpodcast.com and on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See you next time.